Welcome to Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Thanks for joining us. Dave, all right. So China has tested a hypersonic missile in August. Uh, we just found out um, it orbited the globe before heading toward its target. China has been also rattling the saber about seizing Taiwan. What should the U.S. do in response? It appears that you know our intelligence sources were clueless about this. Uh, and China has says they're emboldened about our failure in Afghanistan. What's the solution? Well, first of all, I would say I don't think China has been emboldened by our failure in Afghanistan. They might have enjoyed it from a, sh a schadenfreude perspective because we made fools of ourselves. But from a geopolitical perspective, they they much they were much more secure when when we were there. But to answer your question, let's 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 take a step back and say. Not sure I agree with that. Okay. Well, anyway, that's okay. But China, the thing that emboldened China the most was the greatest gift they ever got, got. And that's when the former president canceled the Trans-Pacific Partnership, because that was set up to have 40% of the world's economy address 18,000 tariffs and quotas. And it was specifically designed to counter China, uh, as well as the other thing that China loves is inconsistency and acquiescence. And there was plenty of that last time where the former president criticized Xi one time a month later, he's praising him. And then, I mean, I say this with incredulity every time, he said the Uyghur concentration camps were a good idea. And then you had those tariffs, which were really taxes on working people. But to get to your, to get to answer your question, the way to address China is strength. And that's, that should be done through financial. Okay. And so, for example, when they're selling oil to North Korea, we should sanction the banks that are taking that money in. They're also laundering money. I think we should address the Olympics. We shouldn't boycott the Olympics with our athletes because that doesn't work as Moscow in 1980 proved. But I do think that we should have businesses boycott the Olympics. Uh, they'll get a lot of, lot of bad press. And I think it's the way to hit them is financially. And also they, because they respond to strength, not to weakness. So that's the way to handle dealing with China. And I think we also have to make sure that our presence is very strong in the, uh, not only the South China Sea, but the area around Taiwan. So I disagreed with pulling an aircraft carrier away from there. I, th I think we should have a couple of aircraft carriers there. And we should also try to return back to when the China-Taiwan system worked the best. And that was when there's ambiguity, because China and Taiwan need each other. Well, I think that the uh, Trump administration, they put the designation uh, of what was happening with the Uyghurs as genocide. And that was a, a monumental decision. And I know personally, I interviewed the head of the Uyghur government in exile. He was very grateful to the Trump administration. He was very pro-Trump administration. So everything that Mike Pompeo did on that front, uh, they believed that the U.S. was signaling strength on that front. Um, and I'm going to give Biden credit. Uh, you, you heard it here first, Dave. I'm giving credit to Biden about what he did uh, with the uh, deal that he made with Canada and the, uh, you know, the government of Australia. Um, I think the way that he went behind France's back was sloppy. Um, I think there was a way that they could have done that uh, in a way that would have brought them more on board because, unfortunately, not only France, but Germany and the UK has come on more on our side of it. But Europe is asleep at the wheel when it comes to the systemic threat on the 
national security and the global security threat of China. So I'd like to see uh, more uh, from the Biden administration on that front, but I will give him credit on that. Um, but I think I think he's doing that because he saw the strength of what the former administration was doing against China. And he's he knows that if he's not strong against China, uh, the voters, they're upset at China and they want strength, too. So I think we agree. Strength is the key word. Yeah, and, and I'm also being the pragmatist. I think the Biden administration has hurt themselves because they are very critical of China policies, particularly the tariffs, which are not the way to go during the campaign, and yet they've kept them all in place. So I think that appears to seem to seem weak. Well, here's my question. My question is, the January 6th still stays in the news. Obviously, you have the committee that's investigating it. Liz Cheney's had some very harsh words for her fellow Republicans. So my question to you is, do you think it was just a simple political protest? You're a reasonable person. What do you think objectively is the best way to handle this? And what's best for the country moving forward when it comes to dealing with January 6th? I think it was far more than just a peaceful, legitimate uh, protest. I think it was a violent assault. Uh, and it was something that needs to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Um, I think that's the way forward is to, to hold these uh, violent perpetrators accountable. Um, the fact that they assaulted the Capitol. I mean, that was that was a horrific day for our country and, and for democracy. And uh, there's no sugarcoating that. Um, I think that, though, when it comes to very specific legal, because, again, we are a system of laws, and until we respect and maintain the rule of law, um, you know, we won't be any different than any other country. But there's a reason that immigrants, millions of people want to come here is because we respect the rule of law. So what happened on January 6th um, was a rejection of the rule of law with this mob. Um, and so I think that that was vile and they need to be held accountable. Uh, that said, in terms of trying to tar and feather any conservative who had questions or wanted to vote against the certification, uh, there is a legal constitutional process to legally challenge this that is outlined by our forefathers. So I reject any any efforts to try to, to connect those two because what they were doing in the Capitol, the members of Congress, and also the many, many people who were peaceful protesters. In fact, I talked about this that morning. I had three of my cousins uh, who were in town or two of my cousins and a spouse they came um, to town to support January 6th and, and they had nothing to do with violence. They had nothing. Uh, they had no idea that that was going to happen. If they had known, they probably wouldn't have come. So to tar and feather my cousins who are kind, loving, uh, just some of the best people that you will ever meet, Dave, and any of our viewers, um, to try to say that, uh, you know, lump everyone together. That's just not nuanced. Uh, and I and I don't think that, uh, you know, a movement should be judged by its worst day. None of us want to be judged by our worst day we, or by our worst people. You know, on the say on the left, there was a violent mob who showed up at the White House uh, at multiple occasions. There was a time when I felt as a journalist covering the Trump White House where my physical safety was at risk. And I'm not going to judge Black Lives Matter protesters or left protesters by their worst day. Um, I believe in redemption, and I think that's how we move forward. Yes, but but again, you know, I, that's a bit of a false equivalency in the sense that people can show out. People have been showing up outside buildings for a long time. They're, they've never penetrated and gone in there. And Steve Bannon, the day before, said, oh, this is going to be something like you've never seen. So it wasn't as if a lot of these people knew. Now, I'm there were a lot of people, probably like your nice relatives, who weren't the Proud Boys or Oath Keepers or any of those organizations, but they knew exactly what they what they were doing. But anyway, 
So what is your second question? The, the wild card, which yeah. I all look forward to. Yeah, well, since we're on this topic, um, swing voters, they, here in Virginia, I'm here in Virginia where there is a, a roaring election happening right now with Glenn Youngkin and Terry McAuliffe. And it really seems that swing voters, these independents, right now they, and it, it could happen, we'll be having a different conversation after the election. But right now it appears that swing voters, they don't care about these false attempts to tie the entire GOP to January 6th. Um, so why do some members of the GOP, I'm not going to name any names, um, keep buying into this liberal media narrative and trying to tar and feather all Republicans because of the actions of a few disorganized extremists and continue to be uh, angry outsiders uh, who curse the darkness instead of trying to light a candle? Well, I think, again, and we've talked about this before, I don't buy the fact that there's just a few angry extremists. What's happened is that the Republican Party has largely internalized the big lie. You look at someone like Bill Haggerty, who's a, a respected businessman, and he was initially really concerned about January 6th, but now he's totally drank the Kool-Aid, and, and he's going around raising all kinds of doubts about the election and basically winking and nodding that it was stolen. And it's the same thing with January 6th. A lot of people are trying to whitewash it. So I think the concern is not that you have a few outliers. You always have that. Look, you have people on both sides who are who are kooks, but, but people are feeling that you have a major party that is more concerned about holding on to power than preserving democracy. And I think that's where it happens. Now, on local elections, people, and I think this is both good and bad, they focus more on what matters to them. So people in Virginia, understandably, are focusing things like, uh, like education. And I think Terry, Terry, look, Terry, Kolov really put his foot in his mouth. I'm a pragmatist. I call him as I see him with that comment at the debate about the debate where parents shouldn't be telling teachers what their kids should learn. And if he loses the election, I think it's going to be because of those words. Now, having said that, I still think he's going to pull it out just because uh, Virginia has, is trending blue. And in the end, there are more Democratic voters there now than Republican voters. But it's, it's going to be a nail biter. And if the Democrats lose, they have nothing, no one but themselves to blame on this one. So my second question is very disappointing. Yesterday, Joe Manchin's bill on voting rights came up for the Senate. He said, oh, don't worry. This is bipartisan. It's not going to be like H.R. 1 that federalizes elections. I'll get support. Not a single Republican, not even not only not voted for it, but wouldn't even allow debate. And this gets back to what I've been talking about, where where 15 years ago, George Bush was celebrating the 98 to nothing vote in the Senate for voting rights. And now there's not a single senator who's even, you know, if you don't like the bill, that's fine. Let's have a debate about it. But they won't even debate about it. Does that, that doesn't concern you at all as a, as a, as a Trump, as a Trump supporting Republican? Well, I, I think that the climate being what it is as far as, uh, well, it, if you look at the bill, it, it's basically HR1 light. Um, so it still has a lot of the most troublesome elements. And the fact that uh, Joe Manchin signed elements? off on it, I, I, I think the fact that Joe Manchin brought it forward was probably his way of trying to, to quiet his critics. Um, so I, and, and I even reject sort of the notion that the word reform, I thought that that's interesting because to me, the word reform is, uh, it's a positive word. You know, and and so anything that would give more power to the federal government and away from the states, uh, in my view, is a is a 
a dereliction of duty as it relates to the Constitution and federalism. But what are and the that's what they want to do though, because that, that you mentioned. Well, yeah, they, they want to federalize elections, basically, and they, and they, they want to, uh, you know, erode any it, they want to put more roadblocks between the chain of custody and the the voters themselves. And that's a problem. So and you can spin it however you want. Uh, but that's ultimately what it's going to do. It's going to it's going to reduce accountability and it's going to reduce the chain of custody and break it down. That's that's what both H.R. one and this mansion bill would do in a nutshell. And so uh, I think what the better way to do it is rather than having a vote, why not hash out the legislation together? Bipartisan because they, they did that with the infrastructure bill and then they had the vote. They had the vote first. Instead of having the negotiations, so I no, think that but, was a, a exactly, strategic failure on their like part. The bill, then you can vote it down, but open it up for debate. You know, and you—I don't think anyone, even a lot of Republicans, would say that these bills that were being passed—the the 2020 election was the safest, most secure election we'd had. Were there irregularities? Yes, but not nearly anything close to affecting the outcome. So these these laws that are being passed in places like Texas and particularly Georgia are not passed to let more people vote. They're passed because I have never seen a party that's more terrified of its own voters than today's Republican Party. And so these, a lot of these laws will allow legislatures to overturn what the county boards do. And that's what makes our elections so secure is that you have these 16, 17,000 independent uh, election boards that, that can't be hacked. But if you're, if you're allowing states to overturn them, that's the threat to our democracy. So let's have a debate about it. But I don't think there's, you know, why not have more people vote? That's, that's the whole thing. And that's, and that's what this is about. This is to make sure that, that, the, voting, that the Voting Rights Act that was passed in, in 2005, and even the one after the Supreme Court made it less effective in 2000, uh, when, they, when they upheld Obamacare, is to allow more, to allow more, more people to vote. And these bills have been so draconian and they're, they're not, the only cause is to make it harder for people to vote. Why make it harder for people to vote if there's not a security issue? I, I think the Democrats wanted to permanently put in place what should have been one-time pandemic exceptions, exceptions to the rule. Because yes, we want to make it harder to, to but cheat, But if there's no fraud and it and, helps and this people bill to vote, is, what does it matter? You want more people to vote. If there's no fraud... That's great. It'll it helps more. No, people. but again, any lower income anytime, people to vote. What's wrong with that? Anytime you break down the chain of custody, uh, that it, that it has more opportunities to cheat. That's the issue. But there's no cheating. There's no evidence of it. When it happens, then you can make those adjustments. But until then, it's allowing more people to vote. That's what America is about. This fraud is a red herring. It doesn't exist. Dave, I also reject. I also reject your your rejection of state legislatures having accountability over the election oversight boards because that's what the Constitution expressly says. It's the legislature's jobs, not these local boards. It's in the Constitution. So, Dave, you're going to have to get an, no. a constitutional amendment if you want to no. change that. No. Uh, well, all right. Well, we will. We will. We will, as always, pleasantly agree to to, to disagree on that one. Always such a great conversation. It's so much fun. This has been another episode of Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. Please join us again. Follow us on social media. Take care. We'll see you next time.